What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Creating Wealth Podcast, where I, Kyle, from Kyle Curtin Real Estate, interview local top dogs in the real estate investing, wealth building, and personal finance industries. Let's build together. Welcome to episode 18 of the podcast. Today, I am interviewing John Bombacci. He is an absolutely incredible leader of the Candor Investment-Focused Real Estate Team out of Lowell as well as an unbelievable real estate investor doing absolutely astronomical things around Massachusetts. I was looking forward to this interview for a very long time, and we had a really great conversation. There's a ton of amazing value in this episode, and I hope you enjoy. Let's jump right into the episode. What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode 18 of the Creating Wealth podcast. Today, we have a very great treat. We have John Bombacci on. Uh, he is an insane, financially free real estate investor doing absolutely out of this world projects. Uh, he's the leader of the investment property focus Candor team out of Lowell, Mass., and as well as being uh, the host of the super influential Find Some Properties Real Estate Investor Meetup Group. Um, thank you so much for coming on here, John. This is absolutely huge. Uh, yeah. Thanks you so, all for having me on. I, I greatly appreciate it. Sorry, I don't have a microphone, but hopefully the, the audio is coming through okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John, it sounds fantastic. It is great. Um, so to jump right into things, I'm very excited. Um, what got you into real estate and what is your backstory? I know it's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, um, my real estate career started like 10 years ago when I, um, I accidentally house hacked a three family in Connecticut. Um, so I graduated college, financed a car, did all the things that you're supposed to do. I was a, I was a finance major, um, got myself into a, a good amount of debt, went out to try to buy um, a house and told, you know, I was pre-approved for about $100,000. Um, in Connecticut, you can find some really shitty condos for $100,000 and that's where I was living. But, um, but we went and we saw the condos, wasn't very impressed, didn't really like it, um, but I didn't really want to rent. Someone told me that you could use rental income to qualify yourself for um, a higher mortgage. And so we went out, we looked at a couple of three families. I found a three family where the vacant unit was nicer than all the crappy condos I just looked at. And the bank told me I could afford it. So I bought a a three family for $189,000 back in 2011 when I was 22 years old. Um, And it really wasn't an intentional choice. It was just that was, it was better than renting. And, um, and that was what I could, that what I could buy. Um, a couple of years later, I realized that I was, um, you know, paying off my student loan debts, paying off my car debt, doing pretty good. And a lot of my peers who are working the same high finance job for, you know, a, a, a strong company, were still struggling with their student loan debt, still struggling with, you know, getting pre-approved to buy a single family house. And that's when I realized that the, the two units that I had rented down beneath me were paying hundred percent of my mortgage. So I was living yeah, for free for five years. <laughs> can't beat it. And I was like, oh shit, like I just invented something awesome. And then a quick Google search showed that I did not invent it. It was, it was not something I invented. It's just something that, you know, being an all-knowing finance major knows everything about everything working for a fortune, you know, 100 company in finance. Um, just, it never crossed my mind that that's what, that's what people were doing. I thought, I thought I was a unique case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's insane. That's absolutely insane. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. Like, like how like knowledgeable, you know, you could be in like, you know, finance and business and like all this crazy stuff, but something like that might not necessarily come into the picture, you know, cause that's not necessarily like the norm. Like you just found out about it and you're like, Whoa, 
wait a minute. <laughs> and it's, it's insane, you know, like to the possibilities are, are ridiculous. And, you know, you worked with the cards you have and, and created something, you know, a really insane start for yourself, you know, at such a young age. Yeah. Yeah. And actually I didn't even like really, I, I, I kind of stumbled upon it because I was doing like one of those Dave Ramsey's like, you know, books that snowball and doing all that. And they're like, Oh, you know, 25% of your, your, your salary should go towards your, your mortgage. And so I did the pie chart and my pie chart was zero. And that's when I was like, that's a little bit weird. And then kind of started <laughs> digging until I found out what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> you beat the system, John. <laughs> Accidentally. Yeah. Better to be lucky than good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what is your drive and vision for the long term? Um, so I, I have a team um, out of Lowell. So we have uh, we have ten agents and two admins that are, are working for me. We're all focused on um, on investors. And the, the reason why I kind of did it was when I left the nine to five job, um, nine to five job, I um, was having a hard time finding a real estate agent that understood what it is I was looking for in investment properties. And so kind of realized that that was a niche. And then um, very quickly, you know brought in other agents that were focusing on the same thing. Um, it wasn't really an intentional thing. It was just kind of, it just kind of happened. Um, the, the goal for the team is um, 10 offices in five years. So we're, we're launching our second office, hopefully in, by um, April uh, in Lemonster. And then we want to be in five states in 10 years. And so the goal is kind of to expand the, the brokerage pretty rapidly, trying to build it in a way that's modeled after like the insurance industries, which is where, you know, I, I kind of grew up in terms of like a business professional and then kind of use that to, you know, branch out and, and put an office in each of those places. But the idea would be the office we're buying in Lemonster, I'm trying to house half my offices. So it's a, it's a five unit building with two commercial units. You know, we're, we're clearing out the current commercial tenant. We're going to put an office there and then a, a lawyer's office next door. And essentially, you know, the, the building will be cash flow positive without us paying any rent. And so in theory, you know, how many, how many, how many, how many offices can I have if if they're all cash flow positive? And that's kind that's of the goal. A lot of a lot of real estate firms when they grow, you know, they every office they add adds, you know, adds leverage, adds debt, adds bills. The goal is every time we build an office, it actually creates positive cash flow for the for the brokerage. That is unbelievable. Wait, so you can't just do it with houses? What? <laughs> uh, that's what, that, yeah, that's what we're trying to do anyways, you know, <laughs> do what we teach people to do and, and, and do it with our business. Of course. That's, that's incredible. Oh my God. And to be able to, you know, push it to other States and different areas and stuff. That's, that's unbelievable. Wow. <laughs> we'll see how it works out. So we're, we're still, we're still in our, in, you know, in our infancy, but that's, that's kind of the goal, right? Um, yeah. I think it was one of those uh, Robert Kiyosaki books. It's like how many how many negatively cash flowing condos can you buy? You can only buy a certain amount, but how many how many cash flow positive condos can you buy? You can buy an unlimited amount, and that's the that's way the that limit. we we kind of want to build it. Wow, that's insane. So kind of going back to um, you know, like when you were able to to finally like leave your W two and um you know jump into kind of like the financial freedom kind of world and be able to start to kind of like do the things that you want to do how i guess did you know that you were ready um like to make that leap you never you never ready never ready you can always come up with an excuse not to do it like you can you could you can come up with your number and then you can double it and you're still not going to be ready 
it's just one of those things where it's like it's a it's a mental hurdle. Um, for me, I never intended to leave my W two. The goal was, you know, just like the a lot of the FI community. I mean, I was more financial independence driven than I was real estate driven. I just used real estate to reach my financial independence, and the goal was to get to the point where I'd get to a lean financial independence and I'd be able to make decisions. It's just so happened the the day that I kind of reached my lean financial independence number is the day I put in my two weeks notice. But that's because I kind of found I found that thing that I wanted to retire to, and that moved up my timeline. But it was never the intention to get the certain number and leave. It's just when I got that number, I felt comfortable moving on to what I found. Yeah, that's 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 insane. Oh my god. <laughs> I know it's kind of crazy. Like you see everywhere, you know, kind of like the different, I guess, like rules of thumb and stuff, like when you're ready and everything. But I guess it kind of seems like, you know, you just have to kind of like make the jump, you know, as long as there's something in front of you as well. And, um, you know, is that, I guess, kind of true? Like, like to kind of like have a plan, um, you know, and just kind of like make the jump to it, I guess, like to jump into the yeah, so I mean world. I think so. So where I was, was, you know, um, you know, we, we had, so I got to the point where we had 29 rental units, not a ton of rental units, but I mean, I'm a, you know, we we're very frugal. We were, we were living in a duplex. We're actually still living in a duplex. Um, and it's one of those things where I knew if, if everything went against us, I could, yeah. I could move to where my rental units are in Northern New Hampshire, where the average income is $35,000 a year. And with all of our stuff, I would be living a, a, a much better than average life. I wouldn't have enough to, you know, exist forever in Boston without making a dollar, just wouldn't have it. But I had that backup plan where, you know, everything goes wrong. You know, worst case scenario is I either move or I get another job. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's not a bad worst case scenario, right? I either, no. either move to a place that people would want to live. I'm not moving to... I'm, I'm not moving out of the country. I'm not moving anywhere weird. I'm moving an hour north or yeah. I have to go get a job. Like the, the, the cost of doing it, the cost of waiting to do it was a lot more than the potential cost of not doing it where worst case scenario, I, I just go back to doing what I was doing. Yep. It wasn't that scary when you boiled it down. Like, you know, and I think it, it one of the books and I kind of forget which one it was, but it's like, just pick what's the worst case scenario. It might be simple path to wealth, you know, with bigger pockets. It's like, What's the worst thing that could possibly happen? The worst thing that could possibly happen is I, I get another job and I work till I'm 65. Yep. Which is the norm for like 99% of people anyways. Which is the norm. So like, if that's the worst thing that could happen, like that's now, good. What's, what's the best thing that could happen, right? And then <laughs> kind of weigh, weigh those out. Yeah. The sky's the limit. Oh, wow. <laughs> So the transition, um, so we kind of, you kind of explained, you know, how to, how you acquired your first property, you know, a few minutes ago and kind of like, you know, how that went, how you started building everything up and, you know, kind of how you got into it. But were there any kind of like big lessons that you learned from that first experience, like good or bad? <laughs> um, I mean, you, you, hindsight, right. I wish I bought more properties down there. I wish, you know, I, I wish I did what a lot of the people I helped do is. A lot of the clients we work with, you know, that are intentionally house hacking, you know, they want to buy five houses in five years. Like, yeah. I didn't find out that I actually house hacked until I was five years into it. So, like, if I knew what I knew now, 
I mean, there really wasn't a difference between living in this three family versus living in the three family next door, the one down the road or, the, or whatever. I could have definitely snowballed my FHA low down payment loans and have built a portfolio in Connecticut. Um, I just, I just didn't know about it. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. <laughs> Was that, did you use FHA for your first property? I did. Oh, I used did. FHA. I had, I had the sellers pay my closing costs. Um, I, and then I got my security deposits and my prorated rents at closing. So I bought like a $200,000 house. And I think like out of pocket day of closing, it was like 3,500 bucks. That's amazing. <laughs> it's like they, they paid my closing costs. They paid everything because it was, it was a, it was a buyer's market back in 2011. So yeah. they paid everything. And then, um, I cut the lawyer a check for, for six grand, less than six grand. And, and then he handed me a check for a little bit over two grand. That's phenomenal. We need another buyer's market. It's a little expensive yeah. right now. <laughs> it's, yeah, we've been in a seller market for a while. <laughs> yes, we have. We definitely do. <laughs> um, what do you consider to be the biggest variable to expand your portfolio or, you know, like your clientele, uh, you know, with the team, um, you know, like building your network or marketing, you know, running numbers, like just grinding? Um, I mean, a lot of it is, is networking. So, I mean, you know, we, we do the, we do the meetup, we were doing in-person meetups. Now they're all virtual. Um, I'm pretty active on, you know, bigger pockets and some of the other forums, pretty active on social media, like it, you know, try to respond to questions, try to provide feedback. And that yep. tends like, you know, try, try to, try to give back to people. And then it, it tends to come back. Like, um, we don't really, we don't have an, a, a very extensive marketing campaign. We do do a little, you know, off-market stuff to try to identify multi-families, but the majority of our time is just spent, you know, talking to people and then um, educating people. And then that kind of turns into more business. It's so crazy. Like I, I'm kind of starting to see, you know, like the real extent of that. Like I would have never knew about like the meetup or, you know, met some of the great people that I did now. If I think you responded to me on like a question I might've asked on bigger pockets, I forget. Or, or you sent me a message. I forget. This was a long time ago, but I literally like wouldn't know a lot of the people that I do now if it wasn't for that networking factor. Um, yeah. you know, of just talking to people and just giving people value and like not expecting anything in return. And like it's it's just crazy, like the amount that like the doors that can open just from like being a good person and like reaching out to people and hearing their stories, and it's wild. Especially yeah. on a site like Bigger Pockets, you know, that's like you know, for the most part, everybody's trying to do, obviously, relatively speaking, you know, a very similar end goal. You know, it's mm -hmm. crazy. <laughs> yeah, no. And I mean, and that, that's kind of what we try to do. We try to try to give back. I don't charge anything for meetups. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't try to openly solicit for business, but if I see a question we can answer, we do our best to answer it. Like I, instead of writing a, a three word sentence, don't buy the house, explain <laughs> why. Um, yeah. And then, and, and then they come back with with questions and you, you help them and hey can i can you help me on the calculator it's like yeah fine i mean you're you're out of pennsylvania so i can't help you but um but I'll, I'll help you run through the calculations and then you know one day they reach out and say hey you know i have a friend that's moving to boston and it just it just tends to you know give give first and then you know some of it will come back yeah it's it's really crazy when it happens you know it, it's just like just being a good person and helping people is the roi is like infinite you know, you never know like who you're going to talk to and stuff. And it's, 
it's so crazy. Yeah. Um, what is the most important lesson that you have learned over your career? Um, I mean, I probably learned it in, in the corporate world, um, or at least I was, I was told it in the corporate world a number of times, but I think it's, it's very, very true. Um, and I think it, it's important when you kind of start out is there's, there's no, there's no set path, right? So, you know, a lot of times you'll, you'll network with people, you, you, you want to hear their story, you, you, you want to see how they got successful. The more of those people you talk to, the more you realize it's like, everyone has the goal of moving the ball forward but there's no path to do it. So you kind of have to, you know, if you, if you want to find someone to copy to, to kind of get started, that's great. But just understand that they did it this way. That doesn't mean your path is going to be exactly the same. It, you have to be open to opportunity, you know, you focus on what you want to do tomorrow, but when an opportunity taps you on the shoulder, don't be afraid to jump off the illusion of a path to follow what is going to be ultimately your, your new path. And I think that's, I, I think that's where people get a little bit bogged up. Like they 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 kind of write out their their ten year goal, and then they they but just realize tomorrow something could happen, and it's okay to accept that opportunity, even if it takes you off your goals. Just make sure you stay open to opportunity when it comes up. Yeah, that's that's super valuable. You know, I feel like you know just kind of like keeping an, an open mind overall, like especially with like real estate investing in particular is really important. Like you literally never know what kind of opportunities are going to come up and you know, like you're right. I mean, like, I feel like as long as you're, you know, like meeting people and, and like actually executing on things and stuff that I guess like opportunities are just going to kind of present themselves in different ways. And like to be able to, to execute on some of those that come up, you know, is, is crazy. You know, like it's great and everything to have like an end goal and stuff, but I mean, it's not going to be a straight line to get there. You know, it's going to be like, all, you know, all kinds of different paths. This is going to lead to this and these four people and these are four people are going to do this. And just to, you know, kind of keep like the end goal in the back of your head, but keep, I guess, keep your mind open to what could happen tomorrow. You know, like you just mentioned. Yeah, it's not going to be, it's not going to be a straight line. You're going to weave, you're going to move away from it before you move back. But the important thing is, you know, free yourself up for opportunity. And when it comes up, don't, don't be afraid to, to make your own, make your own path. Mm-hmm. Love it. It's so true too. Like, it's crazy. Like the amount of things that just kind of like come naturally too. like, you know, just, you know, kind of like getting back to what we were talking about earlier, like just being nice to people and being super genuine and like hearing them out. And then all of a sudden that person's like, oh, I know this guy who's doing this, you know, like you guys should talk and, you know, see if you can help each other out. And like just opportunities that open up, you know, with not expecting anything in return is it's, you know, a wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you, if you do the right thing, right. It'll, it'll come back to you. And even, and even if it doesn't, right. You don't have to feel bad about doing the right thing. Of like course, case, yeah. you did the right thing. If you do the wrong thing and nothing works out, you can feel bad about it. But if you're always yeah. doing the right thing, there's, there's no way to lose. Yeah, there, there's nothing to look back at and wish you changed. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Um, John, how do you define wealth? Um, I mean, I just define it as um, as having the ability to to do what you want to do, right? So, um, and that that was kind of you know my 
my mission with with the financial independence was I I I just wanted to be in a position that you know there's there's enough out there to do what I want to do, um, and then and then after that like we're good like I don't I don't need to do I don't need to get much more than that a lot of the the businesses that we're we're creating or expanding or growing I mean they're they're really meant to be net neutral profits we're just trying to reinvest everything back into it because the goal is you know we have enough and if you have enough you're good and anything more than that is great but um but you don't need to you don't need to have some of the crazy numbers that people kind of put out there um wealth in my opinion is just you you can make the choice to do what you want to do tomorrow and if you if you if you don't have that choice then you just kind of want to you know readjust and figure out how to how to get to that point i totally agree you know it's kind of crazy too you're right like those like really like puffed up numbers that you know people might put out there like oh you need like a million dollars you need two million dollars you know in cash in the bank or whatever investments or you know whatever that's not the same number for everybody you know like to be able to to make those decisions you know could be like you know like working a job that pays a lot less but you really enjoy it but like your your bills are still able to get paid you know and like something like that's going to be different for everybody and like that's what i love about it like it's not just like a a cut and dry like oh you need this much money or you know you need like this many months of expenses that are paid for and then you can like do your own thing and stuff and you know just i totally agree with you you know to kind of have that freedom to be able to make those decisions and not really have I guess, have your, your life really, um, kind of be dictated by money. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and I mean, the thing is there's, there's plenty of abundance out there. Like there's, 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 you don't need to, you don't need to adopt a scarcity mindset. There's plenty of stuff out there that you can just, you know, that, that is available for people. It's just, people get so, so focused on what they don't have instead of focusing on what they do have. Um, and the example that kind of like stood out to me is, I mean, if you're, you know, you, you, what you need, you need 72 times, you know, your, your expenses in order to feel like you're, you're retired or you use the 4% rule or 3% rule or whatever. Yeah. I mean, if your expenses are zero, how much money do you need? And like, like the way the models work, the way the math works is it, is it breaks at a certain point. Like there's assumptions that are fed into the model, but you can break those assumptions and you just have to figure out what, what's good enough for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously, you know, still playing conservatively, you know, because you never know what is going to happen, you know, like what happened last year, you know, with the coronavirus and everything, like everything, everybody just kind of got thrown a curveball. And, um, you know, nobody was obviously expecting, you know, this kind of thing at all. No, but I mean, what I mean, if this is the worst case scenario. I mean, we're, we're not we're not in, you know, most of us aren't in aren't in that bad of a shape um, compared to yep. where started the year um yeah. and so if this is the worst case scenario i mean that, that's that's not too bad um yeah. could, could something happen that kind of derails it sure but if you're if you're open an opportunity and if you're if you're willing to do what it takes to kind of you know get through a hardship if it pops up there's really you know you, the world could change tomorrow for the better or for the worse you, you're yeah. not going to be able to prepare for it you just have to be a, you have to be open to it when it changes wow yeah, <laughs> that's that's super important. That's super valuable. You know, just to, it was really interesting to see kind of like who adapted versus, I guess, like who didn't really adapt too much, you know, when everything kind of hit the fan. 
And, you know, like all these companies that started making masks that would make like, you know, t-shirts or, you know, stuff that like companies that weren't really in like the medical industry, just starting to adapt and do something like that. And the ones that stayed afloat versus the ones that, you know, unfortunately might not have. And, um, you know, just like adapted to the situation that they were in and might have thrived from it. And that's the same with, with real estate. That's the same with, with, you know, with, with independence, with, with retirement, with whatever it is you're doing. It's the same. If you're, if you, if you adopt with something that changes, you're going to be fine. If you, if you kind of try to lay out your plan forever in advance and, and, and wait for, and wait till you have every contingency covered, either you're going to miss out an opportunity because you're so focused on, on reaching that goal, or you're going to be so terrified when the time comes that you're going to keep blowing up you know, well, what if, what if we have super Corona and it's 10 times as bad as what it was last year, then, oh, now my numbers need to double again. And it's just, you're always going to be able to come up with an excuse to, to push it out further. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that, that open-mindedness is really a necessity, you know, with yeah. business or, you know, really just living your life in general, you know, just being open to all kinds of opportunities and just being able to push, even though you might not know what's on the other side. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we were working with a great property manager, for example, property manager was fantastic. It took us a long time to find the property manager we wanted. Property manager told us in um, October that they were going to shut the doors in January. They just weren't going to do it anymore. They, they were, they were going to do something else. And so like that sucked, but yeah. instead we, we, we took the, the property manager that was working for them, asked them, you know, what, what's going to happen. They're like, well, we'd have to lay them off. So we said, well, why don't we, hire them and so then we took over all their contracts took over the property management took over their maintenance staff and now we have the property management company that we hunted so long to find a lot of people would have been like oh oh crap now i gotta go find a new property manager well what are you what are you going to do with all your people property management company in-house that we that we spent a long time searching for yep they have them <laughs> Yep. That's insane. Moving on to our but, I mean, next... again, it would, you know... Sorry, John. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was <laughs> going to say, I mean, we, we could have, you know, it could have been a, a could have been, well, you know, now, now every time we have to hire a property manager, you know, we could have, we could have adopted the worst case mindset of, you know, now we got to start over, but instead we just kind of saw it as, you know, well, what's the problem? And then, and then we were able to solve it in a way that actually adds the business instead of creating additional barriers moving forward. And I, I assume that could stem from, you know, having that open-mindedness to, to be able to solve the problem a different way instead of, you know, like just traditionally like going out and trying to find more, but seeing like the opportunity that, you know, this company might've closed or they might've been done with it. But what about all the people in there that were running the operation? So, I mean, if you need people and there are people that, you know, just might've got laid off or whatever, you saw the opportunity and put them both together and, you know, the sky's the limit. <laughs> it was a very successful transition there. The owner, they loved it because they didn't have to worry about paying, laying off good employees and, and having a tough mindset. We had a, a, a full 30 days of transition where they were, you know, working for both companies as we were standing things up. And then, you know, now we're, we're in talks to, with them of, you know, taking over some of the properties that they continue to own. And so it's just, it's one of those things where 
there was a problem, but we, we, we worked together and we, we helped them solve their problem of they, they didn't want to close the doors, but it wasn't their best interest. And then we were able to take, we were able to see that as an opportunity, not as a, not as a problem. It's phenomenal. Wow. <laughs> what are the most effective resources that have helped you the most so far on your journey? Whether it be, you know, with the company or as an investor or, you know, like just like developing a business. Um, I mean, I think the, I think probably the, the most, I think the most valuable resource that we kind of have is our time. Right. And so because I was able to free up my time early on to, to do what I wanted and I don't have to worry about trading, you know, an hour for a dollar, that's really kind of opened up the resources. Right. So we, we can spend the time where we want to spend the time. We can invest where we want to invest and, and not having to worry about that exchange of, of time for money. Um, I'd like to say I work less hours than I worked when I was in corporate world, but I, I, you can talk my way. I work more hours than I worked in the corporate world. I, I, I absolutely do, but I don't see it as a burden. I don't see it as a, as a hassle. I don't see it as that same exchange of time for money as I was doing before, because I'm doing it on my own, my own time. Sometimes I'm, I'm trading hundreds of hours for $0. Other times I'm trading an hour for thousands of dollars. I don't, see that exchange we're just focusing on the stuff that we want to focus on and having that that resource of time to to do what we want to do is probably the most important thing and i take every monday off to spend with my one-year-old daughter um i take every saturday off to spend with my one my one-year-old daughter talk to a lot of real estate professionals i mean how many real estate professionals take a day off how many real estate professionals take a weekend day off not many but it's important to me and i'm able to spend the time the way i want to spend the time Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely feel like, you know, time is kind of like the biggest resource in a way. And, you know, just like being able to, you know, free yourself from like that, that corporate, I guess, position of changing or exchanging, you know, your time for money. I mean, yeah, you know, you might do it now, but I can imagine, you know, you're probably a little bit happier, you know, than you might have been back then and like enjoy it a little bit more and like, you know, might not necessarily see it as like a job, but more of like something that makes you happy. Oh, Would yeah. You okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, wake up, wake up in the, you know, first thing in the morning, realize that I missed one of my corporate deadlines. And it's like, oh, crap, I haven't worked there in years. <laughs> but I, don't, I don't lose that type of sleep over like real estate deadlines because I, it's what I like to do. It's, it's, it's fun. It's exciting. It, I'll figure it out. But it's like, yeah. it definitely, definitely, I, I, I enjoy what I'm doing and that makes a very, a very different mindset when I, when I start my day and when I end my day. Mm-hmm. And then especially, you know, to be able to have the choice to, you know, stay, to stay home and enjoy, you know, time with your family and stuff as well. You yeah. know, that came from, you know, all of that work way back when getting the rentals and, you know, being able to have that decision to leave corporate America to, to free yourself. And now, you know, like you said, there's not a whole lot of, you know, like successful real estate people out there that might be able to take, especially like a weekend day or a day during the week off, you know, to be able to like watch their kids grow up and, you know, enjoy time with their family and everything. And, you know, to be able to make that decision, you know, is, is crazy. And, you know, I kind of want to like push this on more people to see, you know, what the possibilities are. 
even like down the road. You know, it's yeah. Not yeah. Necessarily... I mean, I take, I take, two half days. I take two half days, Thursdays and Tuesdays. I take Mondays and Saturdays off. And I, I spend that time with, I spend that time with my daughter who's, of course. And, and that's great. And, and during, you know, when, when the state shut down, everyone was going down, like it wasn't that stressful. We just kind of stayed home. Um, and we didn't have to worry if the real estate business wasn't going to work out. Luckily, real estate stayed very strong. We didn't really have any problems, but it wasn't really a worry when everything happened because worst case scenario, we had, we had our backup plans. We had our contingencies. We were, we were okay. And then we just adopted and we, and we moved past it. My yeah. wife now works from home full time. And, um, and, and we, we end up getting, a, I end up getting this real estate office here because we need to create a little bit of separation between the house and the company just because we both couldn't work from home. Full yeah. Time. <laughs> I can imagine, you know, the, I guess, challenge that that could bring having like two people working from home full time. With a, with a one-year-old. Makes exactly. it a little bit <laughs> Probably not the easiest task in the world, John. I can imagine. Yep. It's super impressive. You know, like I, I, I kind of strive to like be able to like, I guess, open up more people's eyes to like the whole financial freedom thing and like being able to have your money work for you instead of you work for it you know, to be able to have those kind of possibilities, you know, like you did to be able to take that time off and everything. And, you know, it's like, you don't necessarily have to follow the norm that society sets and most people do. And, you know, they don't really, I guess, could have like the, the open-mindedness to see like a whole nother situation. You know, I mean, I can imagine, you know, how your last day was at your company or, you know, when you walked into the office and were given your two weeks because you were retiring, <laughs> And uh, I can imagine, you know, the look on your coworkers' faces when you walked in there and, and mentioned that. Yeah, but um, but it, it's what I what I need to do. It was it was it was very nerve wracking, you know, walking away from you know what was what was a very nice job, but it, yeah. it it wasn't it wasn't where I wanted my path to go. Yeah, that's wow. <laughs> To be able to see like that bigger picture and everything and, and make decisions based on that is super important. But everyone's is going to be different. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Moving on to our next question here. Um, what is uh, something that you thought about business networking or wealth creation that kind of changed as you went along, as you progressed? Um, I mean, probably, probably when I, I mean, probably wealth, wealth creation, a lot of it kind of changed where, you know, I'm a, I'm primarily like a buy and hold investor, but like I said, stay, stay open to opportunity. And so a couple of opportunities came along in the last year that weren't buy and hold. We, we still jumped on them. We still figured it out. It was still, you know, it was still profitable. It just wasn't our, our, our normal path. Um, and I mean, looking at it, I mean, you know, some of those opportunities created a, a tremendous amount of wealth. And so, you know, probably the thing that kind of changed the most is I, I normally, and this is kind of what I, I, I tell newer investors too, is, you know, focus on the strategy, beat that strategy until it can't move forward anymore, and then look for a new strategy. Um, but I mean, once you get the ball rolling, those strategies find you. So it's like, 
the, the, the wealth creation strategy is just, is what I'm going to do today going to benefit greater wealth or not benefit greater wealth? And as long as you're making the decision to benefit the, your greater wealth, it, it, it's probably the right decision. And that was probably something that just changed in probably the last you know year and a half is I'm a buy and hold investor. I don't do fixed and flips. I just don't. But uh, an opportunity comes up. I have the cash to do it. I know how to do it. Um, it doesn't make sense as a buy and hold. Will it create wealth? Yeah. Will it benefit the business? Will it benefit my agents? Will it benefit my family? Will it benefit my network? Will it benefit my lender, my attorney, and everybody else? Yeah. yeah. Is there any downside to doing it? I mean, I, I could lose money, but that's not that important as long as I'm comfortable with the, with the strategy and I feel confident that things are going to work that it makes more sense for me to move forward with something, even if it's not the primary strategy, because it, it, as long as it's going to create wealth and it's going to benefit my network and the people around me. Mm -hmm. There's more to taking on some of the projects sometimes than the, the dollars. Like obviously the numbers have, I'm a finance nerd. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll dig through the numbers until, you know, my fingers are, 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 are hurting, but at the same time, we kind of have to take a step back and make sure, you know, does, does the team benefit? Does the, does the network benefit? Does everyone be benefit from it? And if everyone benefits from it, then it'd be crazy not, not to move forward. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I mean, to your point too, I uh, like kind of like the way that I look at something like that is, I mean, you know, from the beginning, like a long time ago, you know, you learned how to do like the buy and hold strategy and how to do like the house hack strategy, you know, even though you might've found it by accident, you know, you still went through the motions and everything, you found out how to do it. And now, you know, you're like wicked far along. So what's stopping you from adapting and learning, you know, another process using the same commodity, you know what I mean? Like just being able to like work with it in a different way. And as well as, you know, like being able to network with the people that might have the answers if you might not have them. You know, like, I mean, just I'm getting the answers from different places and, you know, just kind of figuring out these opportunities instead of, you know, I guess just like passing them off or are not really taking them. Yeah. And I mean, and probably the biggest thing that kind of changed when I, when we changed, when, when we started going against strategies that weren't really my primary was I started partnering up with people and start partnering with people with that, with that extent, find somebody who wants to do that type of project with you who maybe has done it before or bring something else to the table. And if you can partner up, then that's going to one, reduce the risk and two, improve the probability of success. If you're bringing someone to the table that has a different, different level of experience or different, or, or different mindset or, or just different resources. Cause now you have, you just doubled your network. You just doubled your, you just, you just doubled everything. And, you know, going back the age old, you know, um, saying two heads are better than one, three heads are better than two, you know, we're working on a very big project right now. I couldn't have done it by myself. I couldn't have done it with one partner. I, we're, we're struggling to do it with five partners. Um, and we're, we're probably bringing in more people. But if we, if we, if we said, no, that doesn't, that doesn't meet the investment criteria, we could have left a very big opportunity off the table by, by saying, does this benefit the team? Does this benefit the group? Does this create wealth? We figured out a way to move it forward. I love that. That's so valuable. 
you know, to, to just really like be able to see these opportunities and, you know, ask like a primary question of who it benefits and, you know, making sure that kind of like a win-win relationship is there, you know, like across the board and just seeing the potential versus, you know, like you just said, like, yeah, it might not meet your criteria, you know, just passing it off and not even giving it a shot. Would you yeah. say that like um, doing kind of like the same strategy over and over without maybe like adapting or something like that might get like, I guess, boring, you could say, like just doing like the same, you know, kind of cookie cutter, like just keep picking up like multifamilies and stuff and not really like, I guess, like changing the strategy up a little bit, like diversifying, I guess you could say. I mean, I'd, I'd say, I'd say if you, if you have a good strategy and it works for you, you know, there, yeah. there's no wrong in, there's no, there's no problem in, in repeating it. But I mean, mm -hmm. you, if you have a strategy that, that isn't working or isn't keeping up, you'd be crazy to, to not change doing it. So I think yeah. you have to be a little bit nimble. I mean, you can ask, you can ask Blockbuster how, you know, not changing the strategy worked for them. Um, yep. The strategy is successful. Like, you know, Walmart, Amazon, they, they're, they have very successful strategies. They, they haven't really needed to adapt a whole lot since the way they're formed because of the way that they kind of formed their thing that they can continue to do what they're doing and there's no problem. But if something were to change, they, they need to adapt. Just like everything that's going on with COVID, like you're, you were talking earlier about the businesses, they probably had some very successful strategies pre-COVID. The ones that, that stuck to their strategies, even if they weren't working, are hurting right now or they're gone. The ones that said, you know, hey, my strategy was working. Now I need a new strategy or I need to tweak my strategy. Those are the ones that kind of continue. So, I mean, if, if you're able to buy multifamilies and make, you know, your returns on them, there's no reason to change your strategy. But if you're sitting there in a hot seller's market saying, I haven't bought a property in three years because the numbers don't work, change your numbers. Yeah. Like they're working for someone, like the real estate industry hasn't stopped. People are still making money. We're still helping people sell deals if your strategy is not fitting the market come up with a strategy that fits the market mm -hmm. well <laughs> it, it's honestly so true though you know what i mean like even i mean like i was talking to somebody on the phone earlier like there's really no cap to i guess like real estate and investing in general you know like if it might not work in your market like, would you, would the same strategy work maybe like somewhere else or like changing up your strategy, you know, in the same market that you're in? Um, you know, would you say like, if people thought maybe like the Boston, uh, like greater Boston area, you know, Boston in general, Metro, whatever, if they thought that that was like too expensive for them, would you say like going to another market, like maybe, you know, up in New Hampshire or down in Connecticut, you know, Rhode Island, whatever, would it be crazy for them to try and look, you know, somewhere else? Like, would you say that, like, there's always, I guess, like another area that you could substitute, like another part of your criteria that you could change to like make it work? I think you like, have, right? So, I mean, if you, you know, if you, if you go for a pre-approval and you're pre-approved for $300,000 and you say, well, I want to buy a four family in Boston, I'm going to wait no. until $300,000 will help me buy a four family in Boston. And for, you know, people who don't know what Boston Portland is trading for, they're, they're trading for north of 1.3, 1.4 when they need work. So yeah. if you said, you know, I'm not compromising, that's my strategy. You're gonna be waiting a, a pretty long time. And I mean, you, you have two options, right? You can either pick a new strategy in Boston or you can keep that strategy and move to a market that it works with. A lot of times when we're working with, with, with new investors, we, we get them comfortable running the numbers. 
we, we, we get them to tell us what their strategy is and where they want to invest. Sometimes they change their strategy. Sometimes they change the area they want to invest. But if, if everything in Boston is trading at a, at a, at a three cap, and your strategy calls for, you know, 10% cash on cash. <laughs> you know, you, you, you yeah. can either change your strategy and stay in your market or you can change your market. But, you know, if you, if you keep trying to force your strategy into a market that's not going to work, you're either going to end up buying the dogs and they're not going to work out anyways, or, or you're going you're gonna to waste a lot of time with, without, without a whole lot of fruit to show for it. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely going to be a highlight clip. That's uh, I hear that quite a bit, you know, about Boston being expensive and everything. And even like around here, like there's a, the same guy I was talking to on the phone earlier, he's out in Springfield and he was telling me like multifamilies out there, you know, are roughly like 200 grand, you know, for like a three family or something in decent condition. And you come over to here, you know, and all of a sudden that goes up like three, four five times for like the same amount of square footage and stuff. You know, but so how much of, uh, was that in Springfield 10 years ago? That's true. <laughs> grand. Yeah, totally. Springfield hasn't had any appreciation. Springfield more mirrors the Connecticut market than the Massachusetts market. In Mass Connecticut, I bought a three family for $190,000. I can sell it today for $210,000. That was 10 years ago. Yeah. It was listed at $250,000. I bought it for $190,000. I could sell it today for $210,000. The same house in Boston would have tripled, if not quadrupled, over the same yeah. period of time. So it's just a matter of, you know, if you, you want to buy really, really cheap property, I mean, Costa Rica, you could buy a really cheap property in Costa Rica. <laughs> yep. If that's the goal, right? I mean, the, the cheapest in the, the cheapest units you can buy for your dollar, I mean, you, you could buy it somewhere else, but you, you kind of have to make sure that, you know, you're, you're, you're buying into a well-balanced strategy. And, and if your strategy is strict cash flow, right, then Springfield's a, a great market for strict cash flow. If your strategy is, you know, well, I'm expecting the property to increase 3% every year, or I'm expecting to do some sort of inflation so I can refinance it and buy more properties. That might not be the, the Springfield market. Is probably, it might not be, right? You, you're, you yeah. can probably account for, you know, the mortgage payoff and a little bit of appreciation if you want to stretch it. But over the last 10 years, there, there really hasn't been much appreciation in a market like Springfield. Definitely. You know, I feel like that's something that might be like less talked about, like especially with newer investors, like the, um, I guess like the, the cash flow and, you know, like equity slash appreciation, you know, slash inflation, kind of like mindsets. Because, I mean, would you say it's kind of hard to get like a good mixture of both? like? Or do you kind of have to be like leaning towards one side, you know, and kind of like go off of that strategy? Because, you know, like you just mentioned, I mean, obviously, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just going to say, so, so, I mean, we primarily buy for cash flow. So we, yep. we primarily buy for cash flow. If the property doesn't make sense on day one, we don't buy it. Um, yep. But I want appreciation. I mean, appreciation is how your portfolio improves. Appreciation is how you open up other opportunities. Appreciation is how you, you know, you know, 50 bucks a door will only get you so far. 10% appreciation on a, on a highly leveraged asset will get you a lot farther. And so normally, you know, the primary investment is we buy based on cash flow. I don't care what the projected appreciation is. If it's cash flow negative, I'm not buying it. 
but I, I prefer to buy something, you know, if I have the options between two things that cash flow is something where there's a good chance of appreciation and something where there's a poor chance of appreciation, I buy the one with cash flow and a good chance of appreciation. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Definitely. Um, moving on to our next question, John. Uh, what is your best piece of advice to new investors that want to start and manage their rental portfolio? Um, I know you have so much. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I'd say um, manage it yourself. Um, you know, house hack, manage it yourself. Buy something nearby. Buy it in an area that you know. Um, try to stick to something that that you're comfortable with. Right. And, um, and then that way, that'll be your, your cheap tuition cost. Right. I, we talk to a lot of, a lot of newer investors who, you know, they're, they're in New York and they want to buy in New Hampshire. It's like, well, what do you know? Have you ever been to New Hampshire? Well, no, it's cheap. It's like, well, what near you have you been to? Have you been to Pennsylvania? Have you been to, you know, some of these other markets? And, you know, if you invest in an area that, you know, if you invest in something that's nearby that you can be more involved in, you're going to learn a heck of a lot more. Um, and your first property is kind of your tuition cost. Your first property isn't going to be a home run. Your first property may lose you money, but it's, it's a tuition cost. It's a cost of getting started that the cost of not getting started, in my opinion, is much greater than the cost of losing a little bit of money. And so pick a property that you're going to have the most chance of learning the most from, and then your next deal will be significantly better. And the deal after that will be significantly better than that. And by then, you know, it doesn't matter that your first deal might be cash flow negative at that point because you just bought two or three deals that are significantly better because you've, you've learned from it. If you, if you buy something that's forever away and you never learn from it, you're going to yeah, you're, you're continue making that same mistake potentially. And now you've got four or five properties that aren't performing well. Yeah. I like the way that you worded that too, the tuition cost. You know, yeah. just, it is where you're going to learn the most. I mean, how, how much, how much did you, I mean, how much does a college tuition cost? I guarantee you, you buy a bad deal in real estate. It's going to cost you less than your college tuition. Yep. Definitely. <laughs> and you know, you're going to learn a lot more. And, you know, like you said, like, if you do learn from it, then you're not going to make the same mistake, hopefully, you know, in your second property. And then, you know, as you keep making mistakes, you're going to keep learning and adapting. And then it's just going to keep getting better and better. Yeah. And if it's close to home, you can control a little bit more and you can, you'll learn a heck of a lot more from it than if you buy a property that you never visited. Yep. Which is crazy. <laughs> that's definitely. We yeah, that's people, Exactly. But, it, but um, normally they're, normally they, you know, they're, they're coming from New York. They're coming from a market that's very expensive. Um, but it's, it's a difficult process. Yeah, that's definitely like a really valuable, um, valuable piece right there. You know, I, I definitely, once I get my property, I definitely, you know, want to manage it myself, at least for the first one, learn the lessons, you know, get the processes in place and then be able to take that other places, you know, but you're right. Like, I feel like, you know, based on what I've heard from like other investors as well, you know, being able to have that property in your backyard, um, you know, will give you a lot more control and, you know, when things happen, because they're going to happen, you'll be able to, to control that and not be stressing out trying to call a plumber from halfway across the country to come deal with that or something. 
or more importantly, right? I mean, if you're if you're nearby and, and there's a plumbing issue, you you spend a day and a half trying to fix it, realize you need a plumber, you call a plumber. Next time yeah. you have that plumbing issue, you you know when to call a plumber. Um, if you're doing it from halfway across the world, your property manager is calling a plumber, you just get a bill. You didn't actually learn what was going on. It could have been something simple. It could have been fixed pretty easily. Um, if you don't know, you, you won't learn from it. If you, if you struggle through it a couple of times, you'll remember the lesson. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, what is a common myth about building a portfolio that you want to debunk? Um, it's probably the one that drives me a little bit nuts is um, there's no good, there's no good deals on MLS. There's just not, there's no good deals on MLS. Um, so don't even bother looking. That being said, probably half of my portfolio, if not more has come from MLS. Most of the people that we help the deals originate on MLS. There's, there's plenty of deals out there. The example I kind of give is, you know, have you ever been to a property that was grossly overpriced? What, it was a real estate agent that just that set the price. If a real estate agent is the one that's kind of determining the price, the one that goes on market, you know, you, there's property that's coming to the market that are grossly underpriced as well. It's just you have to be prepared to move quickly when they do come up, and you you kind of have to take advantage of the situation when when an opportunity presents itself. And so. A lot of our deals originated off MLS. A lot of our portfolio, where there's significant equity on day one, originated off MLS. It's just a matter of one identifying those deals, acting quickly and decisively, and then also, you know, occasionally approaching something a little bit different. Like for example, um, there's a deal we're working on right now, where um, it's a it's a it's a duplex side by side that they condoize in order to increase the value, and they're yeah. selling them together. The problem is is you know, you try to buy two condos in a duplex together with traditional financing. It doesn't work. It just doesn't, it won't work because you can only only, they're, they're two separate properties that just happen to be attached. You can only yeah. own or occupy one of the properties. The other property will be served as an investment condo. Investment condos are, are typically difficult to get loans on. And so you're looking at, you know, 25% down in order to buy the investment condo. Simple call to an attorney. I mean, you would own both of them. You have control over the deeds. It was a two family at one point, they condoized it. So the day before closing, let's just merge the deeds and make it a two family again. And we can get traditional financing on it as if it was a two family. Boom. <laughs> it's on MLS, easy to find. Yep. It, 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 it's not a, I mean, there's little things like that, that kind of come up where, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a good deal on MLS. The reason why no one's able to buy it is because the, the financing aspect of it doesn't make sense with the asset, the way it is. But if you own the asset, you can change it. And if you can change it and you can convert it into something where you can get traditional financing. Now you're competing against people who are looking at that asset as I got to put 25% down and with one piece of paper, we can buy it with three and a half percent down. And the only difference is, I mean, you, you, you ask the attorney, can we do, can we do a deed merge? He's like, of course we can do a deed merge. Why wouldn't we be able to do a deed merge? Yep. Merge the deeds the day of closing and you close on as a due family. Would you say that like creating deals is like really big when it comes to finding deals? 
yeah. like creating something better off of, you know, the options that you might have? Well, I mean, just like I said, so, you know, real estate agents, they, they list things, they list things wrong all the time. There's 50,000 real estate agents in Massachusetts. We all have access to MLS. We can write up any listing any way we want. Some of them end up being extraordinarily high. We see those, they stick on the market a long time. You'll remember them. The ones that are listed wrong the other way, they go quick and they disappear. Sometimes you can kind of dig through the ones that are stuck on the market and find a way to fix them that no one else has kind of explored. Like, oh, this one doesn't qualify for, you know, it was, it was an FHA buyer bought it or had it under contract and it, it failed because they found knob and tube in the attic. Well, how much is the knob and tube going to cost to replace? Well, it's like five grand. So what if we offered you $5,000 more and you fix it the day of closing? Well, we didn't think of that. <laughs> and now you just finance the $5,000 that was causing it not to pass FHA at three and a half percent down. Yeah. So like you ended up paying, you know, a few hundred dollars more and you're able to buy something with a loan that they previously thought wouldn't work. John, you're getting me very inspired right now. After this, I have to hop on the MLS and <laughs> check I mean, some things out. There's plenty of stuff out there, right? Like, why is this stuff in MLS? Well, you know, is it priced too high? Well, it's not priced too high. So but what's why? the problem? Well, it's completely occupied. Well, how do we get a tenant out? Let's go talk to the tenants. Like, there's a there's hundred different ways to solve the problem. You just have to understand what the problem is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's insanely valuable. You're getting the gears turning. <laughs> You're right, though. You're, you're yeah. 100% I mean, right. I, mean, it's a, I feel like not everybody might want to, you know, dig and just assume that there might be something wrong with it. I guess that's, you know, not able to be fixed and it's just going to sit on there. But for the few people who actually, you know, walk by the coal, you might find a diamond. The thing I love is when I see the disclosures of MLS will not pass conventional finance. I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Or... Or I'll go to the open house and be like, want a bet? We can get it through just do it this way. Because a lot of times, you know, I, I spent 10 years in corporate finance. The, the finance stuff sticks. We, we have great partners, great network, great lenders, great attorneys. Everyone's focused on investment properties. Like I said, like, what's the problem? Is it a deed problem? Let me call my attorney. Is it a, is it a loan problem? Let me call my lender. And if you can get the right person looking at it and thinking about it before you put the offer in, you can make the property fit down the path you need to fit down. Huh. So I assume you would say that building a team for taking down all kinds of different issues is pretty important. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the networking aspect of real estate is, is very important, you know. Um, and just like, you know, you, you can't partner up to take down deals if you don't know people. You, you're not going to know people if you don't network. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you have to kind of start by meeting people, networking, and, you know, building your team. But I would say your team can ebb and flow. You know, you can, you, can, you can substitute in, substitute people out, depending on what you want. I don't use the same lender for every property. Transaction. Yeah. Because every, every lender has their own strengths and their own things. Like I it can go one place to fix one problem. I go to another place to fix another problem. Um, but if you understand what the problem is and you know who could best solve the problem, you can, you have the, the highest success of, 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 of closing on the deal the way you want. If you have the right team playing the game. Wow. 
<laughs> awesome. Just, I'm, so yeah, I'm there's thinking. no good deals on don't even don't even bother looking. <laughs> you guys We're, heard it here okay. first. There are no good deals on the MLS. <laughs> Yo guys, funny enough, you know, to start to build a network, I know a guy who uh who hosts a Pines and Properties real estate meetup um you know every second Thursday. And uh I believe it's every second Thursday, pretty sure. Um it and, was uh, every Thursday it was every Thursday for a while. Now we're doing it once monthly until until we can do the in-person ones again. Yep. But guys, there are uh, you know lots of people there. Um, recommend <laughs> it. Send me a message. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, it's like the power of your network is absolutely insane. You know, and like that that really just kind of like kicked me in the behind, I guess. You know, kind of like the way that you phrased all that to be able to like pick out these problems and like get to what the actual problem is and to be able to, to know the people that you can ask the questions to, to get to the solution that somebody else might not necessarily, you know, want to do the work to dig deep enough for, or not really know how to. So, you know, just like building that network in general is, is crazy. Like the, the power is insane. The more people you know, the farther you're going to go. That's real estate. Mm -hmm. It's a people business. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. Last but not least, uh, last question, John. Do you read? And what is your favorite business, investing, or real estate book that you would recommend to anyone? Yeah, I mean, um, I don't read as much as I, I used to. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I do, you know, I, I do read a lot of the books that, you know, that, that kind of helped kick, kick me into gear when I was getting started. Um, you know, everything, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, um, the simple path of, um, for, for real estate investing, simple path of wealth. Some of those are, are, are fantastic books. Um, and then, um, more recently, I mean, a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a book that kind of impacted me in the way that we, we built our business was actually the, the four hour work week where you streamline as much as you can, you, 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 elevate people within your organization to take on larger and larger pieces of it is kind of the way that we're hoping to build the industry or build our company. I mean, I can't run or I don't want to run, you know, 10 offices in, in, in the next five years. I don't want to be worrying about five states. So the way that we're trying to build it is kind of based off of a lot of the framework of other business books that weren't exactly real estate related. Um, yeah. If you can, if you can elevate people within your organization to make decisions with limited oversight and make the right decisions, I mean, it, it opens up the amount of decisions that can be made, you know, in a given time frame without you being the bottleneck. And that's mm -hmm. the way that we're trying to, to do things. The agents on my team, they, they're not employees. They're, they're, they're independent contractors. And I remind them of that all the time. You're, you don't work for me. You work for yourself. You just trust me to, to help you. And if yeah. they feel comfortable making their own decisions, they feel comfortable doing, you know, their transactions and 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 understand that it's their business. Um, that gives them the power to kind of, you know, that gives them the power to make decisions that are going to impact the way they run things. Yeah, that's one business book I've actually never read. Is the Four Hour Work Week? I, I, get on <laughs> I read uh like the E Myth. I know you know that one's 
similar in some ways and not others, you know, about delegation and, you know, the different models and stuff like that. But yeah, I haven't actually read that one. That it's a kind big of one. Tracks a little bit. I have to get on that. <laughs> but um, yeah, guys, definitely check that out. Thank you so much for coming on here, John. This is this has been a, a real pleasure. Guys, ever since I met John, I, I have met so many different people and, you know, gotten a lot further than I would have, you know, if I didn't. Um, and just like if if you ever need to buy or sell a house or, you know, are looking for an investment property, shout out to the Candor team, um, you know, out of Lowell. They're phenomenal. But uh, yeah. Or, you know, even if you wanted to jump into like real estate investing, but you're not sure or whatever, you know, like we were talking about earlier, uh, he hosts a Pints of Properties meetup. You know, it's virtual right now, you know, temporarily, but eventually, you know, back in person. And yeah, you know, send me or John a message. Uh, speaking of which, actually, John, where can you be reached on social media or anywhere in general? I mean, so I have a, I have a pretty unique last name, Babachi, B-O-M-B-A-C-I. You can find me on Facebook, and, you know, Google me, I'll come up. Um, you can also reach out to me, you know, through our website, candorealty.com. Um, but being a real estate agent, um, I'm very Googleable. So feel free to, to Google me and, and things, will, things will pop up, I promise. <laughs> All righty, John. Thank you so much for coming on here, man. It really means a lot. This is, this is huge. And uh, yeah, guys, you know, definitely, definitely hit up John, you know, if you're looking for investment properties or whatever. And yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks for having us. All right, guys, that concludes our Creating Wealth podcast episode for today. I want to thank every single person that has listened this far. It really means a lot to know that people can learn from me and with me as we build wealth together. Hopefully you can take home at least one thing from this podcast that will improve your life just a little bit. If you could, please check me out on social. That's at Kyle Curtin Real Estate on Instagram, Facebook, and I'm on Bigger Pockets. Until next time, let's build together.